Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Jason. Welcome to Skipped on Shuffle, a podcast where we delve into an overlooked song by a popular artist. Today we're going to be talking about the Talking Heads song, City of Dreams, from their 1986 album, True Stories. I think this episode is going to be a little different because we're talking about a song that's technically on an album that's a soundtrack and you can't have that conversation without also talking about the movie that it is the soundtrack to and the singer and writer is also the director of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) If you're confused, this, this, this will make more sense as, as we go along, but yes, this this will be a very interesting episode. We usually we have a pretty consistent formula for our episodes, um, but I think for this one we're going to have to toss some of that formula out just because there's a lot to talk about here. You know, related not just to the album and not just to the song, but also to this film, and then also to the the members of the Talking Heads themselves, which which also factor very importantly into all this stuff that we have to talk about. So yeah, this is going to be a, a pretty interesting episode for us. And I think also an interesting episode for our listeners, because we're going to be talking a lot about a movie, which, you know, we don't really do too often here. I, what, 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 I think um, we, the last, the only song that we've done that was sort of related to this would be the Alice in Chains. Oh yeah. Episode, the last action hero, yeah. which, 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 yeah, which was this on the soundtrack to last action hero, but we didn't, we didn't talk about the movie at all. But that, that, that movie's good too. <laughs> yes, it, it's it's not the same kind of good as <laughs> as uh, True Stories is. But yeah, that, that's that's the only I think soundtrack related thing that we've done so far. So yeah, so we're both really excited to talk about this because this is a a, a, a good album from a great band, and it's a terrific movie that Jason and I both just love dearly. So we're very excited to talk today about the song City of Dreams from the Talking Heads album, True Stories. The story of Talking Heads starts in 1973 in Providence, Rhode Island. There, at the prestigious art school, the Rhode Island School of Design, or RISD for short, guitarist and vocalist David Byrne met drummer Chris France. The two started a fast friendship and started a band called The Artistics, which is quite possibly the worst name for a band ever. I like how it's real obvious and they just went ahead and did it anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's like we're two guys at an art school. We should call ourselves the Artistics. Just just really awful decision. At the time, France's girlfriend, Tina Weymouth, also a RISD student, often provided transportation for the Artistics as they gigged. 
Thankfully, the band with the worst name in the world didn't last long, dissolving after just a year or so. Byrne, France, and Weymouth eventually moved to New York City together, sharing a loft. Byrne and France decided to start a new band there called Talking Heads. Unable to find a bass player, Weymouth took up the position, even though she was not a bassist. She learned the instrument, though, and Talking Heads became official. Unbelievably, the band's very first gig was at the legendary CBGB's club in New York, opening for The Ramones. As far as first gigs go, you can't do much better than that. I'm trying to picture getting a ticket and, <laughs> and talking heads yeah. come, come out. And then. Yeah, just I'm, I'm ready for some like two minute long 50s pop jingles set to a punk beat. And then David Byrne comes out. That's just that would be pretty, pretty jarring. Eventually, the band signed to Sire Records and in 1977 released their first single. That single is called Love Goes to Building on Fire. Check it out here. Not long after that single's release, the band added a fourth member. Jerry Harrison, who played guitar, keyboards, and provided backing vocals, used to be in a band called The Modern Lovers. This cemented the final lineup of Talking Heads. Although all four members would stay in Talking Heads from then on, David Byrne was never sold on Tina Weymouth as a bass player. Allegedly, he had a re-audition to stay in the band over three separate occasions. Keep this animosity in mind as we continue with this story. In 1977, the same year that Chris France and Tina Weymouth married, the band released its debut album, cleverly called Talking Heads 77. The biggest single from that record ended up becoming a defining track for the group Psycho Killer. That song and the 77 album earned critical acclaim and sold fairly well. The band quickly re-entered the studio with legendary producer Brian Eno to record the sophomore effort released in 1978, titled More Songs About Buildings and Food. Encouraged by Eno, the band became incredibly experimental in the studio, incorporating elements of psychedelia, funk, and even African music. However, the most successful single from the album was Take Me to the River, a fairly straightforward cover of the Al Green classic. Check it out here.
more songs about buildings and food helped Talking Heads break into the mainstream, with Take Me to the River becoming a top 30 hit. Barely taking a break, the band went right back into the studio with Brian Eno and released 1979's Fear of Music. The album once again proved that the band didn't sound like anything anyone had ever heard before. It also kept the band in the charts with the now legendary song, Life During Wartime. At this point, the band has released a new full-length studio record each year since the launch of its very first single. That momentum didn't let up as Talking Heads once again joined with Brian Eno, who at one point tried to force himself in as a fifth member of the band, and recorded their fourth record, Remain in Light, which launched in 1980. This album produced what is likely the band's most famous and iconic song, Once in a Lifetime. On Remain in Light, Brian Eno brought in additional musicians to fill out the band's sound. One of these musicians was Adrian Ballou on guitar. He had played with the likes of Frank Zappa and David Bowie and would eventually go on to be a part of the reformation of King Crimson. We have a King Crimson episode you can check out to get the whole story on that. With four albums and subsequent tours done in barely four years' time, the band finally took a break. David Byrne embarked on a solo career releasing a bizarre album in collaboration with Brian Eno. Jerry Harrison also released a solo album, and Chris France and Tina Weymouth formed a new band called Tom Tom Club, which was heavily inspired by a new style of music making its way up, hip-hop. And that band, the lead singer, is Adrian Ballou. Interestingly enough, there's a story where Weymouth and France actually possibly asked, I don't know if they thought about asking him or actually asked him if he wanted to be the lead singer of the Talking Heads. So... Even though the band is finding all the success clearly in the studio, there's this growing tension in the band. So they're in the studio together, finding more and more success. I think it explains why the band took a break and also why Tom Tom Club exists, because Adrian Ballou is like, no, I'm not going to fire David Byrne. I don't even know how that would work. <laughs> it's just a kind of a weird, you know, so, something to kind of, again, keep in mind as, as you're listening to Scott recount this history. Talking Heads became active again in 1982 with the release of a live album called The Name of This Band is Talking Heads. The group by this point was performing live as a larger ensemble, first growing their stage lineup to support Remain in Light with additional guitarists, keyboardists, percussionists, and backing vocalists. The additional players were a necessity considering how much extra instrumentation was needed to bring its recorded songs to life on stage. In 1983, the band released their fifth album, Speaking in Tongues, their first in years without Brian Eno. 
This produced yet another huge hit for the band in the track, Burning Down the House. While touring to promote speaking in tongues, the band filmed a concert movie called Stop Making Sense. Acting almost like a greatest hits of the band, the film and companion record became hits in their own right. This is where the iconic image of David Byrne in a giant suit came about, as Byrne wore the outfit on stage during this tour. His explanation of the costume was that he wanted to make his head appear smaller to the audience, and wearing a big suit was the easiest way to achieve that. It certainly... Easier than... Follow logic. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, that tour ended up being the band's last major one. Within the group, fractures were opening up between David Byrne and the other three members, who all saw Byrne as becoming volatile and controlling over the band. Still, the band pressed on. In 1985, Talking Heads released their sixth record, which is called Little Creatures. As far as sales go, this is the group's best-selling album, even though it failed to produce any hits on the level of its previous records. Still, the song Road to Nowhere from Little Creatures has gone on to become a defining track of not only Talking Heads, but of David Byrne specifically. The band did not tour extensively to promote Little Creatures. Instead, David Byrne made his directorial debut with the film True Stories, which features himself as an actor and the rest of Talking Heads in bit roles. We're going to go deep into the film and the album of the same name soon, as that's where we find our track today, City of Dreams. Once True Stories was finished, the band went back into the studio to record their eighth and final studio album, 1988's Naked. Once again, there was no large-scale tour for the record, and it failed to produce any major hits. The debut single was called Blind. Naked earned critical acclaim, with most reviews saying it was better than anything the band had done since speaking in tongues. However, the group reached a breaking point with David Byrne, which forced them into what has started as a hiatus. By 1991, though, the band announced its official breakup. According to drummer Chris France, he, Tina Weymouth, and Jerry Harrison learned of the demise of the group from an article in the Los Angeles Times. France said, As far as we're concerned, the band never really broke up. David just decided to leave. After the band dissolved, France and Weymouth continued on with Tom Tom Club, earning a few minor hits. 
Jerry Harrison released some solo material, but became a legendary producer in his own right, helming massive albums and songs from Live, The Violent Femmes, Crash Test Dummies, and No Doubt. David Byrne also went on to have an extensive solo career. In 2002, the band was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. As part of the festivities, the group played together on stage for the first and last time in nearly 20 years. They performed Life During Wartime, Psycho Killer, and Burning Down the House. Byrne stated publicly that there will likely never be future work together due to bad blood, while Tina Weymouth had more cutting things to say. She said that David Byrne is, quote, a man incapable of returning friendship, and that he had no love for her, France, or Harrison. Ouch. Let's go back, though, to when things were still semi-amicable between the four band members as they create the album True Stories while David Byrne develops the film of the same name. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Right about now, in most podcasts, you'd be hearing an ad for something, uh, but we are trying to keep Skipped on Shuffle ad-free, and the way we're going to be able to do that is through Patreon. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash skippedonshuffle. Any donations go to support the costs associated with running this podcast. If you're not familiar with the film True Stories, basically the inspiration was David Byrne was sitting around reading all these tabloid newspapers and cutting them out and saving them and getting inspired by them and basically said to himself, okay, these ridiculous stories that you see sitting, you know, on the grocery store shelves with, you know, crazy stories, the the, like Bat Boy type stories. (laughs) He was like, what if, what if they were true? And what if these people were living in a town together and interacting with one another or passing by each other. And that was kind of the, the kernel of an idea that turned into true stories. So it's this quirky film that sort of, it it aligns very well with like the aesthetic of talking heads. It's, you know, David Byrne is, is sort of like this uh, narrator who goes into this town as a, as a tourist basically and wears this ridiculous cowboy hat to try and fit in and basically meets all these people and creates like these sort of vignettes. It's, it's not quite like, there's no like through through a line, like narrative basically. I mean, all, they're all trying to get to this end point. They're trying to have this giant festival for the town. A that celebration of at. specialness. Yes. The celebration of specialness. And so they're trying to get to this end point, but at the same time, like there's no, like, it's almost like, like a bunch of sketches. It's like, he's like, you know, David Byrne was like, oh, okay. The character comes in here and does this. And then we move on to the next sketch almost. It's a little bit like if you've, um, since we're on the topic of film, if you've seen like a Robert Altman movie or some of Richard Linklater's movies, uh, where it's just like, there's a lot of different characters and sometimes 
characters meet and or sometimes they just work next to each other or you know pass each other on the street kind of deal so yeah there's there's very loose connections between everything and it's all just kind of centered around this town and them trying to get to what eventually I guess the climax of the movie is uh, <laughs> is a, a, a talent show. <laughs> yeah. So so within each of these vignettes, there is some sort of music of some kind. So it's not quite a musical in the sense that we think of musicals. It's not like Hamilton or or whatever, where everyone just breaks out into song. It's more like there's a central point through each scene that connects to music in some way. So for example, at one point they go to a karaoke bar and all these characters from the town are getting up on stage to sing part of the verses and choruses for this song, which happens to be a talking head song. Uh, the only hit from this album called wild, wild life. And then in another scene, there's a bunch of children walking around, uh, a deserted like lot somewhere singing, a talking head song in almost like a chain gang style yeah. way of doing it. And then there's a, a fashion show where the woman presenting the fashions bursts out into song as people are walking down the runway. So it's, it's very surreal. It doesn't really make, it's not quite what you would think of if you think of a musical, but on that same level, it, it, it does have music in multiple scenes that are all talking head songs. So we talked a little bit about the film and about how True Stories is a soundtrack. So it's kind of important to explain how this was supposed to work, which was basically that the talking heads were going to write and record all this music and that it was supposed to be the characters in the film who would then not only appear in the film singing these songs, but also on the soundtrack that would accompany the film. So the fact that it's a talking heads album with David Byrne singing all these songs is kind of surprising because it's not what the original intention he had was. And we do hear the talking heads a few times in this film. And again, it, it might be slightly self-serving because David Byrne was also directing some of the talking heads music videos at the time. So love for sale and wild wildlife in arguably the two most popular tracks on this record were both performed by the talking heads and set up in a way to also extract them from the film and use them as a music video. So love for sales, like this woman flipping through channels and seeing commercials for all kinds of things in which the band appears in those commercials. And as Scott mentioned, wild wildlife is this karaoke style with different characters coming up and lip syncing to the song. And the third song is the song we're talking about today, City of Dreams, which actually only appears at the end in the final credits of the film, but also appears in a weird way in the prologue of the movie with a lot of the lyrics being referenced visually and in this story or this history of basically the town is in Texas. So he gives basically this weird historical summary of Texas in this 
comical, strange way. Again, it's really hard to describe this movie if you haven't if you have not seen it. <laughs> right. So 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 David Byrne's intention is is that he you know he obviously the Talking Heads are writing a lot of this material, but he doesn't want the True Stories album to come out that's the Talking Heads performing these songs. He wants it to be the songs as they appear in the film, which is what you would expect. You know, if you, you know, buy the original cast recording of a musical, you hear the songs as you heard them in the movie. You know, you don't get the Rocky Horror Picture Show soundtrack and hear, you know, some cover band playing the songs. You you hear the songs as they appeared in the film. And so, you know, it's it was fairly obvious why David Byrne would want that to be the case with this album. But for reasons that we don't quite know, apparently the label wasn't happy with that. And and we assume that it's because the label understood that this movie wasn't going to make any money. So, spoiler alert, the movie doesn't make any money. <laughs> <laughs> and so the the label must have been like, this isn't going to, to, to work as a film on its own. So therefore you should help promote the film and possibly recoup some of our money by releasing this as a Talking Heads album with the Talking Heads performances. So when you grab the Talking Heads album, True Stories, you don't hear any of the cast members from the movie. All you hear is the Talking Heads. And for better or for worse, that is what the True Stories album ends up being for most people who who know of it. They did end up rectifying all of this a few years ago. I, I can't remember exactly what year, but I mean, it took a really long time for the official soundtrack to finally come out. So they ended up, I, th- I think the movie got put out on Criterion. And I think that was that was kind of what had the impetus to be like, well, if we're going to do the movie, then we're going to do the soundtrack the right way and give that to people who want to hear it. So finally, now, if you went out to find it, you would still find the original Talking Heads performing and singing true, everything on True Stories. Um, but there's also a set that has the other disc with all the characters in the film singing their parts. So they, they, they did do it because even anything truncated that appears in the movie, like they at some point did sit down in front of a microphone, all these characters and sing these songs. So it's kind of refreshing and cool to hear how it was supposed to be. And I feel like it. For a lot of Talking Heads fans, I kind of understand why True Stories is not most people's favorite album. But when you, I think when you hear the cast recording and you see the film, you're just like, oh, this makes so much more sense to me now than, you know, if you were a Talking Heads fan listening to Little Creatures or something and then being like, oh, I can't wait for the next one. And then hearing True Stories and being disappointed. I feel like I can understand why people would be like, oh, okay. I mean, in, in some ways it's it's musically related but it's, I don't know, it's a totally kind of different vibe, despite sort of a lot of the music and things coming out of the same sessions. I'm not really sure there either when the band came in to record, because it seems like they had some leftover stuff that got kind of scraped up to do the True Stories album. So engines on TV.
when we were talking about doing this episode, you know, we, we knew we wanted to do a talking heads episode and we, we invariably knew we wanted to do something from true stories because Jason and I are such huge fans of this movie uh, and the music attached to it. And I, I was listening to the record and I said to myself, which one are we going to do? And when city of dreams came on, it was the first time I had listened to it in a long time. And I realized how affecting this song is both lyrically and musically. And that's that's not something that you can say about a lot of Talking Heads material. And that's not, you know, I'm not trying to, to, to shit on Talking Heads or anything, but at the same time, a lot of Talking Heads music is much more intellectual or just like danceable. You know, there's, there's, there's Talking Heads songs tend to direct their energy towards making you think, making you laugh, or making you move your feet. And very seldom do they have songs where it's going for, you know, to tug on your emotions. And I feel like this is a song that really does that and does it so well. And it makes you, I don't know, it, it made me kind of think about the idea of like, oh, what would it have been like if Talking Heads had been more focused on stuff like this rather than, you know, the kind of stuff that they were that they were best known for. But uh, but yeah, let, let's let's talk about the lyrics and the music of this song in particular and get an idea of like why this song is such a great, great track and stands out amongst Talking Heads material. I think one of the things that makes the song most affecting for me is... The fact that David Byrne, so much of what he writes about is things that you see, houses and buildings and food and people. I mean, it's in the title of the songs and the the album titles and everything. And this is a song kind of about all those things that you don't see anymore, but still have influence over us. So it's weird to hear kind of some interpretation of history, I guess, in, in a way coming from David Byrne to be like, hey, we should probably pause for a minute and rather like then look at this like funny person who's sitting here acting quirky and strange to kind of sit and think about like, wow, it's kind of amazing that this place is even here and that we're even here and thinking about the stretching back to millions of years. So the song starts out here where you are standing. The dinosaurs did a dance. The Indians told a story. Now it has come to pass. The Indians had a legend. The Spaniards lived for gold. The white man came and killed them, but they haven't really gone. I mean, he gets through a good chunk of time there and in this kind of straightforward, casual way with obviously a lot of implications there for things that have happened in this country over the years. And I don't think he's purposely trying to skirt over like these are, you know, heavy topics with a lot of things attached to them, but just kind of asking you as a listener, like take a moment and just kind of think about where you are and how you got here. And it kind of becomes this really affecting thought when you actually think about the, you know, events along the way that are like, how did I end up here in this really like concrete way of tracing like, well, this happened and then this happened and then this happened and all the things we kind of carry with us. And I think that's what, lends such emotional weight to the song. Yeah, and then it just continues with the second verse, which is from Germany and Europe and Southern USA. They made this little town here that we live in to this day. The children of the white man saw Indians on TV and heard about the legend, how their city was a dream. And it, yeah, so it's like, I don't know. I almost want to say that the song is like 
almost like political in certain ways. It's very reflective. I don't know. It's kind of like this very, I don't know. It's like this Zen-like moment in, in the Talking Heads catalog that that doesn't really fit with anything else. You know, it's like, you know, you, you think of the talking heads and you think of songs like, you know, once in a lifetime where he's like, you know, is this my beautiful house? Is this my, you know, he's just, it's very just bizarre and silly and, and fun. It's, it's all fun. But this song, this song isn't fun. Like it's not a fun <laughs> song. And, and that's, you know, once again, that's not bad. There's a lot of great songs that are no fun at all. You know, there are songs that make you cry, songs that make you sad, songs that make you, you know, just downright suicidal like you know this and they're all great great songs and this is one of those tracks that's just it's just so different for the talking heads and i can see why this song is not popular you know like uh for those of you who are maybe this is the first episode that you're listening to from us we we choose these songs by looking at uh, Spotify and other streaming services playlists and see how popular the songs are on those platforms. And this song is like dead last in popularity. Like no talking heads fans like this song really. I mean, you know, obviously that's a very generalized statement, but according to Spotify, the people that are listening to talking heads are not listening much to this track. And so it really does goes to show that people think about the talking heads as being like a certain thing. And this song is decidedly not that thing. And to me, that's what makes me love it so much. And that's what makes me attached to it so much. But I guess, you know, other people don't think of it that way, which is which is strange to me, I guess. Yeah, and I, I guess it makes sense because you mentioned how, how different it is. And yeah, thematically, when you think of Talking Heads, you don't think of, well, they write songs where they mention immigration and colonial, you know, yeah, the, death <laughs> the, of the, the colonization of <laughs> yeah. you know the you know and and World you know, War One and Two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they the songs generally aren't about that kind of thing. So I I think it's interesting that they put those kind of ideas in the song. And I think probably a way to think about this track is it's up there in terms of I think the there's a couple other Talking Head songs that don't necessarily like go into those same thematic directions, but I think this song I would put up there with heaven and uh, naive melody. This must be the place. Yeah. I feel like those are other really like just beautiful songs that are deep in a way, but he doesn't make it too. He, he doesn't, he doesn't make it too deep. He doesn't try to like hit you too much with it. He's like, I'm just going to write very simply so everyone can kind of understand it. Like, I'm not going to like dive down and write something real complex and it'll be, you'll get the feeling that I'm trying to express here. And and I think this, this song hits that similar kind of soft spot where you mentioned, you know, he's always aiming for, you know, your brain or your feet and I think in, in the case of a few of those songs that I mentioned in City of Dreams, he kind of aims for your heart and 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 hits it, I think, for 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 me anyway.
we just spent some time talking about how this song is so serious and affecting and it's odd because that stands in such contrast to the song appears in the final credits as the talking head song but in the beginning of the film the lyrics show up as kind of this weird prologue where the narrator that we mentioned played by david byrne does a voiceover and he basically describes the history of texas because that's where the story takes place but he does it in such a strange way so i mentioned you know the line the dinosaurs did a dance well in the movie he's talking about how millions of years ago like it looks like this used to be all underwater and there's like an image of an ocean he's like almost still looks like it and then he talks <laughs> and then he's like and then dinosaurs came and he's like i used to be fascinated by dinosaurs when i was a kid and it's just so bizarre and same thing with you know talking about basically you know native american people being wiped out and you know spaniards coming in and having the land which was eventually taken from them as well and he kind of makes a joke about it of he's just like oh the spanish offered the chance for the indians to become slaves they thought about it decided it was not a good idea and killed the spaniards <laughs> it's like how the narration like I, I, seriously like you need to at least watch the first five minutes of this movie to get yeah it's it's just totally brilliant I, yeah it, it's it is really strange that he you know has this very affecting, deep, you know, really emotional song. And then in, he's like, oh, I'm going to incorporate this into this goofy beginning of this movie. And then I'm going to, you know, at the end of the movie, it's going to come back again over the credits and, and all this stuff. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's just totally bizarre. But I guess it's anytime I hear these songs, you know, City of Dreams, Wild Wild Life, Love for all these songs, I just think about this movie and how much I love it. It is such an incredibly affecting, just awesome, awesome film. And and no one's seen it. You know, it's like it's it's it it's funny when we were when we were talking before this episode began, I call, I mentioned that that David Byrne basically after the band records Little Creatures, which you know, as a reminder, was the the best selling talking heads record up to that point. Two million albums sold. David Byrne's like, guess what, guys? I'm gonna do the ultimate vanity project. <laughs> and direct and star in a film. And guess what? You guys are writing the soundtrack for it or whatever. Like, just totally ridiculous. On paper, this movie should be the worst thing ever. But it's not. It's it's incredible. I just love it so much. It's just, it, it makes me sad sometimes that David Byrne has never made another movie like this. And just, I don't know. It's just, it's like lightning in a bottle just was captured. Yeah. And it's a one-of-a-kind experience. And there's... So many selling points to this because it's really funny, even if you're not like I'm a laugh out loud, you know, like obvious humor kind of thing, like hangover or something. But I still think that you would find parts of this funny, but just like the subtlety in the detail, I, I can tell you one scene that makes me laugh every time and maybe you'll get this and maybe you won't. But so so David Byrne's narrator character is driving and there's just like emptiness, emptiness, emptiness for like. I don't know, 20, 30 seconds. And all of a sudden he just drives by like a fire hydrant for no reason, like out in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. <laughs> and it's like one of those, like just little details that I love. And it's so funny because uh, at, I feel like city of dreams kind of encapsulates, like obviously kind of like the spirit of 
the movie in some ways because again it's being reflective and thinking about history but also just thinking about like how weird and random circumstances are and we all just kind of like keep moving forward with our lives as best we can i i I don't know if that maybe maybe i'm giving more more heart to the movie than no 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 i think i think the movie has a lot of heart i think that uh one of the one of the best things about it as, as, like like it's kind of similar in ways to uh, the mockumentary films of Christopher Guest, and mm. most people know those. You know, you're waiting for Guffman, Best in Show, A Mighty Wind, all these like hilarious, hilarious. This is Spinal Tap, obviously, uh, which was technically a Rob Reiner film, but whatever. The point being that. These films where these goofy characters, usually from, you know, backwater towns that are like just like, you know, normal people, but the films treat the people very kindly. Like you can tell that the characters or you can tell that the actors and the creators of the film truly, truly respect and like these people, regardless of how crazy or, you know, weird or bizarre. they Yeah, they're very, very endearing. Yeah, yeah, and so in, in this in this movie, it's the same situation where these characters are just you know they're just nuts. They're just they're either completely insane, like the lying lady who's just that all, all she does is lie. Every single word out of her mouth is completely fabricated. You know who you on you know in in a lesser film you would hate her. You'd be like, oh my god, she's the worst. But every time she shows up, you're just like, oh, isn't that charming? She's, but when she stands she's up, lying. when she stands up and says, Burt Reynolds wants my body. <laughs> <laughs> and she tries to claim that she wrote all of Elvis's songs and all this. You're just like, oh, isn't that sweet? And it's like that kind of that kind of ability to make you connect with these just totally off the wall people is 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 what makes me come back to true stories again and again and really just love being in that world where you know. The, you know, John Goodman is like this, he, you know, John Goodman's in the movie for, and, I don't think we've And one that. of his earliest, yeah. One of his earliest roles, and he's just absolutely incredible. John Goodman is a national treasure. I will never hear anyone <laughs> say anything bad about John Goodman. And he's, you know, he's playing this, this, this lovelorn guy who really wants a wife. And his shtick is that he starts putting out ads to try and find himself a wife, which Back in, you know, when this movie was, was made, say, yeah, it seems they, really <laughs> weird. But now it's like, oh, yeah, totally. Just put on your online profile. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, you know, this goofy guy and he's trying to, you know, find this woman. And he and uh, in in one of the best lines of dialogue ever, he, he he sings a song for this girl that, you know, possibly could be his wife. And uh, she doesn't like it. She's like, it's your song is too sad. And he says, I guess I kind of like sad songs. I like them. They make me want to lie on the floor. <laughs> and I, I think about that all the time. Like, I, th- I don't think there's a line of dialogue from a movie that stayed with me as much as that one has. Because, and that's kind of what this song does, The City of Dreams. Like, this is kind of a lie on the floor song, you know, if you think about it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it's funny you mentioned like memorable lines because there's just so many. And my my favorite one is at at the beginning he he's trying to date people and he dates a woman with like seven kids and they're like out at a restaurant and you know the kids are like all you know throwing food and being all rambunctious and she's like oh have you learned all the kids names yet and he's like are they sitting alphabetically (laughs) (laughs) oh my god yeah we could just probably sit here we could probably just sit here for the next hour quoting this film and yeah it is it is a damn shame that it's kind of been 
lost to time. I, I'm sh- I, I, I should have checked before we started recording this, but I don't even know if it's on like any streaming services or anything. Like it's probably a situation where you'd actually have to buy a DVD or rent it or something. I don't yeah, know. I really need to pick up the Criterion one because I still have like the old like. I, th- I think Warner Brothers had, had was the studio and they did like, you know, the most bare bones DVD release you can where they're just like, it's on DVD. Here's a flimsy package with like no, you know, no yeah, frills, no, no features, frills packaging, no yeah. special features. But it's like, yeah. there, there you go. You got the movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, I don't know how big of a resurgence it got when Criterion put it out or, you know, re-releasing the soundtrack. But it, it's kind of cool that somebody at least cared enough, and David Byrne at least apparently still loved it enough to be like, "I'm happy you're revisiting it, and I'm happy to like that someone's making this happen so people can see it." Because um, as as Scott mentioned, this is David Byrne's only film, which seems weird for a guy who has done so many different things. I mean, he has like a hit Broadway play that you know was was going recently, American Utopia. And he's just done so many different things. I just find it really hard to believe, especially at this point, if he was just like, hey, I want to make a movie that he couldn't get it done. And so I I don't know, maybe maybe it was he didn't enjoy the experience of it as as much. I don't know. It's such a strange, like you said, lightning in a bottle thing, because the other thing we kind of kind of have to tie it back to is this came out shortly after the talking heads did stop making sense, which is, you know, like the go-to concert film. And that was directed by Jonathan Demi, like an Oscar winning director. He did silence of the lambs, all kinds of things. And that was kind of the thing that inspired David Byrne to be like, yeah, I can make a movie. Like, look at this guy. <laughs> look at this guy. who Like clearly knows what he's doing. Like I could totally do this. Um, so it's just funny that he like, you laugh when you think about like, man, like, there's no way he can pull it off, but manages to pull it off. And so uniquely. And I think like nobody's made a movie quite like this since it's just so quirky before it became kind of a more mainstream thing. And the fact that there's like all this great music in it too. Usually it's like somebody can pull off the quirkiness. You can go see a Wes Anderson movie and, you know, get your, get your, you know, quirkiness satisfied by like, you know, these weird characters. And again, characters that are treated, I feel like for the most part, pretty respectfully as like, yeah, these are outlandish people, but, um, you know, we, we care about them. But again, that's filled with all kinds of, you know, music from elsewhere, as opposed to like the fact that this person is directing it, that they wrote it. They're responsible for the music. They're acting in it. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. And the fact that he, yeah, brought in some ways, John Goodman sort of to the masses is a, is a, is a a blessing to us all, or at least the the small crowds that went to go see him where you're just like, Oh, this guy is like awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess we'll close this out by saying that for the first time ever, the skipped on shuffle guys are going to say that you should go out and watch this movie. Yes. We love the city of dream songs a song. And yes, we love the album that it's attached to and all the music in this album, uh, in this movie is just, is just top notch, 
just wonderful, wonderful stuff. But really, if if you walk away from this episode with one thing on your agenda, it should be to watch True Stories somehow, buy the DVD, rent it from somebody, borrow it from some geek you know, and uh, and check it out because it really is just 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 absolutely totally wonderful. Please visit our website at www.skippedonshuffle.com for more news about other episodes and our upcoming schedule. We are also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please visit skippedonshuffle.com for links to all of our social media pages.